your uh, Bible there, if you, if you want to open it again to Matthew 5, and uh, we're going to finish Matthew 5 this morning. So if you have your, I guess the right way to say it these days is they have your Bible or your electronic device, however it is that you, uh, yeah, you have it there. We spent a lot of time in the study <clears throat> in prayer these past few weeks of the Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that was ever preached, the greatest one that, that we have on record anyway. And uh, we found out that as Jesus preaches through here, that what he's telling us is not something that's just an end all. That the, the Beatitudes, as we went through them, are something that's ongoing. It's a process. Matter of fact, you know, we came to that point where we realized that, whoa, I have to know and I have to be able to confess that I'm spiritually bankrupt. And then I can lay that out before the Lord. And only then will I be meek enough to allow him to be my strength and give me my wisdom. And you know what we get for that? The kingdom of God. We get him forever and ever. God's help. So here we are. We find rapport in spirit. We mourn. We find ourselves... And he promises all these great things to us, the kingdom of heaven. Um, you know, it's only that when we're that way that we can be truly merciful for the others who don't know him, the ones that haven't come, and, come to Christ yet and don't know his great love and his mercy. It's only then that people are going to be able to see Jesus through you and me. And that's really what we're here to be, are we not? People to see Jesus through us. And you know what they do, folks? I gotta tell you, it's really it's great to be able to walk with this group. I know a lot of us aren't here this morning. I hope it's not anything I said. It, you know, but there's a lot of folks that are missing this morning. We had a lot of them. I think. What do you think happened, Jerry? You think they overate last night? I know they didn't oversing. You know, I don't. I don't know what it was. But we had a group of men last night that went off to share together, uh, but uh, Christian men. And we did something totally, completely unbiblical. We ate a pig. And it was good, wasn't it? <laughs> good pig. Good fellowship. Because we did it in the Lord. It's only then that we have gone through these beatitudes that we've been talking about that people are going to be able to see Jesus through us. These beatitudes are something that a lot of people think is something you have to attain. You get to that point, and then it's, and then it's over. You know, you've achieved it, and it's, an, it's not an end. It's a process. It's a process every day of your life. And that's what Jesus is saying right here. It never ends. And you know what? When we are that way, that's, we are also to see Jesus through us because we're the salt and the light of the world. We said all of that. You know what? And then when we got through all of that, we came to this part about sin. And that's when the attendance went down. It's true. We've been talking about sin. You have heard it said, but I say, and Jesus is talking as God. Yeah. It came to that part where we found that man heard God's law and changed it because he couldn't do it. Instead of relying on God's grace and God's mercy and going to him, he took God's law and changed it and made it where it would be easy to do. Mm-hmm. But you know what? God didn't approve of man's rewriting his law, did he? Didn't like it a lot. So you know what he did? He said, you know what? You want to see a man do my law? Good. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, as a man. 
so we could see what it's like to live in God's law and to know that it's for our good. But Jesus obeyed every part of it. He was perfect. But even though the law had been reduced to uh, man's version, the, the original God-given law is still in place today. That's what Jesus says. That's what he's teaching us right here. Still here, folks. We still have to do it the way that God said we have to do it. And Jesus says, I'm coming to fulfill the law. The law will be fulfilled. It's going to be through him. In verse 521, Jesus began by, by unraveling this Pharisaical law. But, you know, we call it the Pharisee's law, but I'm going to tell you what. It's not, every time you see that word Pharisaical law or something like that, know that that's us. Because we've done the same thing, hadn't we? Taken God's law and made it convenient for us. He said, I'm going to take it back to the Mosaic law and telling us how to act, you know, like murder. You know, murder, they were taking it, they reduced it to the, to the letter of the law. When in fact, Jesus says, it's about the heart. If you you thought anything like that, you just committed murder. It all begins in the heart, doesn't it? He said the same thing about murder. He said the same thing about adultery, which is what we talked about last week. He shows us that it begins with these impure thoughts. You know, he had a lot of discussion in these Bible studies. As a matter of fact, there's more people in Bible studies this week than are here this morning talking about what we said this last Sunday morning. And Jesus is telling us the same thing. You commit adultery in your heart. And that's the, that's the adultery. That's the sin against God. That's what separates us from God is when we have those thoughts. Got to get rid of them. You know, I could make this, this sermon real short, which is two words. Stop it. Isn't that true? There's no way we will ever be able to conquer it on our own apart from God. Know that. We have to go to him. And this is why God sent his son to pay the debt of sin as the perfect living sacrifice, a man, in the life of the world. Only the blood of the life of Jesus Christ could atone for our sins, could have paid the price. That's it. And only Jesus, the, the only son of God, could do that. And that is why he came. We said last week, he came to die. Jesus Christ came to die. Read with me in your Bibles. In uh, Matthew 5.31. We just read this a while ago. But I want you to listen to this. We're going to begin with just a few, few verses. We take this apart. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now we're meddling, aren't we? But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality. And let me give you a clue. Anytime you see the word sexual immorality, and it's that way in about every version I think that everybody has in their hands, the Greek word is pornea. Sexual immorality. Huh, okay. So, but I say to you, anyone who, who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, the Pharisees had messed it all up. They'd messed up the law trying to make it conform to their desires. We wouldn't do that, would we? We wouldn't change the way that God said marriage is to be, would we? Deuteronomy 24, it said the divorce could be had if there was 
that there was some form of indecency. And I, that, that, that I don't know how any other would tra- translate that. It means it's shamefulness. Then something to shame the family, to shame the name. We don't even think that way anymore, do we? But, it, but if anyone had done that, then a divorce was in order. And, um, but once divorce, the two people could never remarry. Deuteronomy 24. There was no mention of adultery. Do you know why? Because it was punishable by death. Adultery wasn't even considered. Well, we hadn't messed anything up, hadn't changed any laws, have we? Hmm, or have we? In Matthew 19, Jesus summarizes the law against the Pharisees who had come to the point of saying that Moses had commanded divorce for, for unfit wives. Matter of fact, this is so funny. The Pharisees were divided on the issue between two of their, they, they had the uh, um, uh, Shammai school, and the Hillel school. And the Shammai school said that um, they could, uh, for being unchaste, they could divorce a woman. But the Hillel uh, school said for unworthiness, which included burning breakfast. Burn the bagels and you can get a divorce. Don't you like it? And Jesus pointed them back in Matthew 19 to the real source of the problem. That is the heart where sin lives. Right back to that. Where is their heart? What's your heart life? What's your, what's your thought life like in your heart? God said marriage is the union of one man, one woman. Did you hear me? One man, one woman by God and is not to be separated by man. Genesis 2.24 and Matthew 19, 3-9, if you want to go find that on your own. That's what marriage is. The Mosaic Law had been a method to control what was out of control, right? And uh, marriage had become an outlet for just in, instead of the whole, everything except what the Holy Union of God had intended. Does that sound familiar? Of course, we don't have any of that going on today, do we? God says in Malachi 3, I hate divorce, so gird, so guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. You know, he never considered burned bagels or irreconcilable differences as any reason for getting a divorce. And why? Because man had made marriage into something for himself and not for God. Marriage is one woman, one man for God. It's not a result of uh, the best score in the sex tryouts in the pre-marriage bed. It's uh, not a human merger acquisition uh, based on a solid, sustainable financial future. Did you hear me, you guys that are business people? It's not a business transaction at all. Uh, Marriage is not a psychological matching of IQs. You know, I hear some reports that actually say if your IQs are more than five IQ points apart, marriage won't last. It's a lie. What man, God puts together, man cannot take apart. Marriage is, is the God-ordained union of a man and a woman who become one for his glory. And that's the reason we all live, isn't it? For his glory. No amens in here this morning? 
That is the reason that we live, all of us. There's no human relationship more beautiful than a man and a woman joining together for God's glory. Nothing better than that. And you know what? We are blessed to have a lot of those in this in this church hold. Isn't that true? Yeah, we do. The union is from God and with God, and it is sealed with a sacred oath before God. A covenant of the heart not to be broken. And you know what? That leads us right into the very next verse. Look at what it says in, in 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or in earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for your, your, uh, you cannot even make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be your yes, and your no be your no. Anything beyond this comes from one, from the evil one. Did you get all of that? Whoa. Um, I was in court this week with one of our people that we, we deal with, and we were the last on the docket. And um, I had to watch them all get sworn in. Do you know they don't even mention, they don't even use the Bible anymore, and they don't mention the name of God? Wow. That's, where, where did that, when did that end? What made, so our oath... It's just our yes is our yes and our no is our no, right? No, they swear by the court. Whoa. We're in trouble, aren't we, folks? You know, is it just like these previous examples you've been given, it's murder, anger, adultery, lust, you know, all those things that the, the, the Pharisees had taken this matter about swearing and oaths, and they'd completely rearranged it, made it into something else. As a matter of fact, let me tell you what, I don't know what your version says. If you, we just read, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. That's Jesus quoting their law, right? And Or yours may say, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. You know, I don't know what your version says. Do you know that that's nowhere in the Bible? Except where Jesus quoted it? The Pharisees had made their own law again. Hmm. It's nowhere in the Old Testament, no matter what version you're using. They'd taken some general statements like Exodus 20, you know that, when you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And Deuteronomy 6.13 says, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take uh, oaths in his name. And Leviticus 19.12, you shall not swear by my name falsely and, and, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. But in Jesus is again, he's saying, look, you guys, we got it all wrong. We've taken the law and we made it our way. Let's put it back the way that God wrote it. And let me tell you something, folks. I'm going to part from my script here. That's what we need to do. We are living in a world all around us that has taken and made the law convenient. I can't tell you how many sermons I heard... I am going to say. I heard one last night that was actually, we have to get out there and make this all right because we can work so hard. Wrong! We have to obey God's word. God is the only one that can save anybody through Jesus Christ. We can't do it ourselves. And not by changing the law are we going to make it easier or more convenient to go before God someday when we're judged. We have got to obey God and his law. 
And we can't say, oh, I can't do it. I'm too weak. I'm not strong enough. It won't work. Christ is strong enough, and he gives us all the strength, all the wisdom, all the grace, and all the mercy we need. We just follow him and obey him. You know what? What we're seeing that the Pharisees did, they reduced the law one more time, hadn't they? Just take it and just stripped it and, and down to, to nothing so that they could, didn't have to deal with the spirit of the law. They'd made new rules for how to make acceptable oaths. You know, they even changed the way that they swear when the oaths that they took when they went before the altar and they laid things before God. They said, you know what? You can't swear. This is what the Pharisaical law said. You can't swear by the altar, but you can swear about what you're going to lay on the altar. Come on. We wouldn't do anything like that, would we? We wouldn't do anything where we'd change up the rules about how we come before the Lord. Look, the, 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 the way the spirit of the law was ignored and could not possibly apply to them, right? Or to us. Wrong. Same thing appears in our culture all day long. Some of the religious groups, you can actually go and you get married in the church. You know what? I can't tell you how many times people have come and said, you know, I want to get married in the church because I know that will make it right. Wrong. You know what? Your oath, your covenant is before God. And you come before him. There's some churches, if you get married in their church, doesn't work out, you can get it annulled. Get the marriage just turned around and annulled like it didn't happen. What kind of deal? Can you think, do you think it's possible to annul a promise to God? What are we thinking? What's anybody thinking? I think the laws have become so separated from God's truth that the courts don't use that oath or the Bible or anything anymore for a reason. They think it's okay. One of the reasons Christ said that, that uh, um, what he said in this verse is so that people would not swear in God's name in vain. And what are we doing? You know, you don't have to go f farther than... Uh, the local shopping center over here, the, hear the Lord's name used in vain, do you? <laughs> Matter of fact, stand out here on the sidewalk on Sunday night before they come in. You'll, see, you'll hear, hear the Lord, oh, and they'll say, oh, I'm sorry, Pastor, I didn't mean to say that. Really? That's total irreverence for God, isn't it? But you know what? They come here so they can see Jesus and they can see what is right. Are we going to show them? Yeah, I hope we are. Anything when you use God's name, you know, as a curse and in vain, it's just sin. It's exactly what it is. Another thing God forbids is a swearing by any creature of any God's creation. Now, that means the ravens, the O's. Yeah. Jesus said, whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. You know why he says that by anything in creation? Because it's all his. It all belongs to God. If you swear by anything, you're swearing by God because it's all his. So if everything belongs to God, including you, then there's no need to swear or to take an oath, is there? The only thing that really matters, if you have the heart of the Lord living in you, then 
you to say yes and no. Your yes is your yes and your no is your no. You know, you don't have to jump up and say, well, I really, really mean it. Take the reallys out. If you say it and you have God's heart, his truth, the truth, Truth is a person, folks, Jesus Christ. If he's living in there, if you got him living in here, and you speak it, your yes is your yes, and your no is your no, and that's them seeing Jesus through us, right? Amen? Amen. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. How does that have anything to do with the heart of God? Did you ever wonder about that? You know, I spent a lot of my life with lawyers. I'm sorry about that. I hope you'll keep on praying for me. Um, but, you know, the lawyers have actually reduced this to what they call lex talionis, which is means an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And what it means is that if, 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 you, if you do something wrong to me, then I'm going to do exactly back to you. I'm going to get even. We live in a get-even society, don't we? Matter of fact, we live in a get-even and get-more society. We are really a litigious group. <laughs> so how does this thing about eye for an eye and two for two fit into having a heart for God? I mean, like divorce and oaths, and God had given his eye and an eye and a tooth for a tooth for a reason. He put that back in the Bible. You know what was happening before he gave them that rule? If you came and you poked my eye, then... I would retaliate, remember that lex talionis? That's where the talionis comes from, retaliate by killing you. So, you know, if you came and you injure me, you bump me or something like that, kind of like we see a lot of people acting around here, don't we? You don't bump into them, you're disrespecting them, right? And they would just punch you out, kill you or something like that. So he said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth to limit it. Uh, Exodus 21, 24, Leviticus 24, 20, Deuteronomy 19, 21, gave the, the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth so we could limit all of the blood and all of the, the hurt and everything that's going around. It was, it was uh, not for over, overcompensating with killing for the eye or tooth loss. And the execution of the law was to be formed by a judge, not by the strongest guy in the room. Uh, Jesus says that the law that was given, but remember, he also said that he came to fulfill the law, and here's what he does. He tells us that part next. Listen to this, verse 39. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. What? What's that all about? I thought this was an eye for nine, two for two thing. Don't resist evil and give them what I own. I'm going to give away what I have in the world, my own stuff. Whoa. My self-respect, my time, my money. Oh, now we're really messing up, aren't we? How is that fulfilling the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth thing, Jesus? Tell me. You know what? This passage is one of the most controversial texts in the Bible. It's one of the hard ones. And we love to argue about it. Matter of fact, pacifists stand on it and get out of the draft. It's not good, is it? Um, 
To really understand it, we have to keep on with the whole context. You have to read the whole thing. You know, we keep saying that. This is, this is the last part of chapter 5. You've got to read the whole thing. You can't read just this last part. You've got to read the whole thing. Keep it in context. It, you know, it comes in order, just like all of chapter 5 has so far. It's like all the other points in the sermon. And considering that it's Jesus that's preaching this, it's Jesus that's teaching it, uh, we have to take a look at the whole thing, not just the part. So don't forget the Beatitudes when we're going through here. Remember how we progressed through that and how the point we had to come down to, to, to this point of just being at the very bottom and then Jesus picks us back up? Um, that's how we're to behave in the world as, as Christians. And knowing that we're filled with the Spirit and we've become the salt and the light. Remember all of that? we've been gone through it's the spirit living in us back to that it saves us from sin and you know it's the spirit living in us that saves us from that sin becoming sin right jesus died for it and he took it away we have to give it to him and it all starts with with this new creation that christ gives us and the new heart he's working out in us we work it out with fear and trembling, right? But he's working it out in us. That's a hard thing to understand. A lot of people don't get that. That's where we get into this problem where we think, oh, we've lost our salvation or something like that. Let me tell you what. He's working it all out in us. And if we come to a point where he says, there it's done, it's not. He's always working in us. And he's always taking us to the next place, the next point. That's what's so great to see with all of us here how he does it differently with each and every person. But let me tell you something I know for certain folks. We may just have a handful of people here this morning, but we walk together during the week. We walk together on Sunday mornings too. And I got to tell you, it is so great to see Christ at work and his people here. And I know, I know this with all my heart, he's bringing, everybody that's here this morning is not a surprise to him. He's bringing everybody here with whatever he's going to do with us, it's his kingdom purpose. And he's bringing us to that point. And you know what? If you just stop and you look and you say, whoa, yeah, but, you know, why don't we have a, you know, 3,000 people here this morning? Or why don't, you know, that's not his will for us, I believe, right now. Maybe someday we will. Maybe someday we'll have cast of thousands. I don't know, but I can tell you right now, there are hearts being changed and coming to Jesus Christ every day by the work that's being done in this church right here. And just because we can't measure it with our methods, oh, we can't use our laws and our rules to measure it, we have to use God's. And you know what? He's the one that has to be satisfied, not us. When Christ came to live in us, you know what? The new creature is no longer concerned about getting even, about having all this stuff accumulating all this stuff he's concerned about the spiritual things beyond this world when you turn the other cheek when you go the extra mile when you give your worldly things away it's because they're not what you are about anymore that's a hard lesson to learn folks you're talking to someone that really got beaten into me about giving up all of this stuff and you know what? I still want it. We all do, don't we? Still want that stuff. But you know what? Is, what's bigger than that? Jesus Christ and what he's doing in the hearts of people around here. You know what? 
You're not what you used to be anymore. And the Lord's at work in you, and He's changing you. People see that, and they say, that new creature in Christ was born again in the Spirit. And when they see that, they want it. You may think people are rejecting you. i got to tell you, there's a lot of people that have come back and said, you know what, I want that. All of these statements that Jesus has spoken about fulfilling the law, you know, you have heard it said, but I say there's six of them. We've gone through all of them. Um, they have a general theme rather than specific applications like a lot of people preach it. There's one general theme we need to all see. And I hope you've been catching that, have you? You see what he's saying? It's all about the new creation, the new heart of Christ that he's placed in us. It's not about the law of the world. I'm not saying we all need to go be outlaws. <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. It's about God's law, and it's about Christ living in us and the new creature that he's making out of every person that's in this room right now that's received him. Listen to the last six of these statements. And with that in mind, see if it sounds different than it ever has before. Verse 42. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for your enemies and for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward can, will you have? Or what can you possibly get? Are, you not, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Listen to this. Be perfect. Even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Whoa. You know, I used to tell uh, in seminary students that um, <clears throat> there is a score to get into heaven. It's 100%. You have to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. How do you do that? You do that with that new heart that Christ is putting in us, the new creature that we're all becoming through him when we give ourselves to him and you know what I keep going back to this uh, I came to we came to you uh, with this verse our key life verse it says take up your cross daily and follow Christ we have to do that every day I don't know about you I have to find myself every day falling down on my knees before my Lord and saying you know what Lord I, I blew it yesterday we, we've talked about where I blew it so I don't want to blow it today I want you to be my strength. I want to keep my eyes on you. I want to be keenly aware of you and Holy Spirit working in me and all that I do. As you change me, as you make me in what you would have me to be, therefore, then will I become perfect, even as my Heavenly Father is imperfect, through my Savior, Jesus Christ. How can you possibly be perfect? With the new heart and the new creation of God that's being worked out in you. Do you have it? Is that hard in you? Let me tell you what. You can't go work for it. 
It's a gift. It's free. The most precious gift of all is free. You can't do anything but receive it. You know what? If you've never done that, I would say to you this morning, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. He says that in the last book of the Bible. I'm still standing at the door and I'm still knocking. But you let him in. Let him in every day. If you're already a believer and you've let him in before, let him in every morning when you get up. Let him come in and work through you, making you that new one. You know what? Know this. The old life is gone. Let it go. It's gone. As he builds, he's building a new life in us that lasts forever. Just think about that. You and Jesus, the Son of God, building a new life together. Pretty cool, isn't it? That's where we want to be every day of our lives. He wants you, and he's already made the transaction for you with his heavenly Father. Take him up on it. Let's pray. Lord, your word, your word is so powerful. And Lord, you are so powerful. And Lord, your love is so. Lord, to know that you died for us, you live for us, and you put up with all this stuff we do, and yet you still love us. You give us new mercies every morning. Your grace is more than enough to cover all of our sins. Lord, we just come before you this morning praising you because you are indeed our God. And Lord, we, we still have this sin nature in us that you're working out. Lord, all of us, different places, I guess, but we're all in different places together. Praise you for that, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your love, your amazing love, your amazing grace. Lord, I just want to thank you this morning that you take us just as we are. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that has never made that, that transaction with you, just letting you in, I pray that this morning is that day to do it. Wait no longer. Lord, we don't know when you're going to come back to take all of us home. But Lord, I pray that if there's one soul here this morning that has never given their heart to you and let you take it and mold it and make it and just make it yours. Lord, I pray that today would be that day that you, we would come to you this morning, Lord, just as I am. In Jesus' name, amen.